0: Welcome to Virtual School Assembly. I'm your host, Tyler Christensen. I'm a productivity speaker, author, and classroom teacher. Here at Virtual School Assembly, I interview Hollywood celebrities, professional athletes, Olympians, speakers, and educators who share messages of inspiration, education, and hope to better prepare you for an ever-changing and uncertain world. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started.
1: Well, welcome back to Virtual School Assembly. Today, our guest is Brent Valley. Brent's an award-winning entrepreneur, speaker, mentor, adventurer, and dad. He's grown and sold several technology companies, made a snowboarding film in Canada, hiked and surfed all over the world, and has founded and run several different philanthropies. And, oh yeah, he's working on his first book too. So, Brent, you are a busy guy, man.
2: Hey, Tyler. How are you? Thanks for the intro, mate. Uh, I am, I am, I love it. I think responsibility is a thing that so many people try to avoid but I think it's a pathway to living a very fulfilling and meaningful life
1: yeah well I'm excited to talk to you we've had a lot of celebrities on the show a lot of actors directors professional athletes but I like your story because while you've done a lot of extreme sports and have been very physical in your life you've also done a lot in business and I wanted to be able to dig into both of those things Uh, but let's start at the beginning tell tell me a little bit about your childhood how you were raised um, you know where you're from stuff like that.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, I was raised up. I was born in, in, Melbourne, in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, I'm 43 years old. Um, I grew up in an Anglo-Saxon uh, family, but I found out at a very, very early age, the age of five, in fact, that I was actually adopted. So here I was being raised by Australian parents. I had lots of hair back then. I had dark skin and it was always very interesting at school when the kids used to ask me, well, what country are you from? What nationality are you from? And I'd have to answer and say I'm Australian, yet deep down I, didn't, I actually didn't know my heritage. So I went through a major portion of my life actually not knowing my heritage and my background. And so that was interesting. and made for some interesting conversations in the schoolyard. Um, a ton of bullying, of course, which is kind of, was really, really challenging at the time. Um, but I was a pretty happy kid. Went through school, went through primary school. My grades were pretty good. Um, I love my mum and dad. They looked after me really well. I played lots of sport. I had lots of friends. And then I think the transition into high school changed a little bit. It was like there was more of a focus on academic and I don't think I'm very academic and uh, especially around subjects that I may not be interested in and I can't connect the reason or the meaning why I'm doing something. Um, So that led me down to, you know, my grades started going downhill. Um, And then unfortunately, my mum and dad at the age of 15, they decided to divorce. And this was a really challenging and confronting time in my life. And it kind of left me like, well, where, where do I go to here? So dad ended up moving into state. It was 2,000 kilometres away, and, and I was I, in some ways I was forced to grow up, um, and be the man around the house, support my mum, and she went through some challenges, and then she got to the age I got to the age of 17, 18. I just finished school. Back in the day, it was like a T.E.R. score, and I scored 32 out of 100 for all of Year 12, and I was actually pretty shattered, and I felt uh, low sense of self-worth, but I decided to. Um, just take a year off and then mum said to me hey it's really important that you go and get a job now I don't have any money left after uh, mum and dad's separation I was like that was really confronting so I went to the local paper looked up for a job there was one local nearby it was in IT um, and I ended up getting the job as a store person and that was kind of like my first full-time job working in the and a segue into technology which I've had my hand in for nearly 25 years which is scary now i know
1: even before you got this job you kind of had the entrepreneurial spirit talk about that a little bit when you were younger what were some of the things you do to hustle to raise a little bit of money here and there
2: yeah yeah so i very quickly like latched onto the fact that i could get a bucket i could get soap and i could get a sponge out of like my mom's like clean mum and dad's cleaning stuff in the laundry so once i click that together i was like okay i can get all this stuff and then i can go and knock on the neighbor's doors and i can offer to wash their cars and get money in return i didn't have to spend any money because i had mum and dad had all the stuff that i needed um but i could get like two dollars fifty for a car now that two dollars fifty meant a lot back then um so much so that i could go down to the milk bar after i earned my two dollars fifty and buy footy cards and bubble gum and all the things that a kid would want to do right yeah uh, so that that was probably my first foray into entrepreneurship and I was very, very young. Um, yeah. And it just seemed to always like connect with other things that come up, like pamphlet rounds and doing stuff like that. So I was kind of in very, very early, just
1: innately. Yeah, I love it because we're about the same age and I did a lot of the same things. When I was younger, I, I'd go around and, and earn money. I had a paper route and I'd spend all that money on baseball cards. I'd go to the 7-Eleven <laughs> to get a Slurpee, you know. I And I felt like I was rich because I was earning my own money. And even though my family didn't have much, I, I felt yeah. rich because I, I could earn that money. So it's awesome. Very empowering. It's something very empowering about
2: being able to go out and earn your own money, I think.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about, so after you finished um, high school and, yeah. and were going into the, the tech industry, um, how long was it till you started your first business? Yeah, look, I was
2: really fortunate. That first job that I went for, the the, the guy who owned that company was um, a ke- really, really keen surfer. Um, and we had a lot of similarities. And he was probably the first real father figure uh, business mentor that I had. And mm-hmm. I just gravitated towards him and listened to everything that he said and just was a sponge because I, I could see the results he was getting. Um, and I could see the lifestyle he was living and I was like, I want to do that. So if I listen and soak, soak up everything he does, it's going to rub off and have an impact. So um, so what happened through him? I worked for him for about three or four years. And then eventually he decided to wind up one of his businesses and just refine it right back. And then me and two of other two of the employees, fellow employees, actually offered up sale, the sale. He said he'd finance it. We can repay him back over the two-year period. And, and the transaction went down. So I ended up. He ended up selling it to us for two hundred forty thousand uh, dollars AUD, and um, then and then funded us with a loan so that over the two years of building back up the business, we could pay it off. So we didn't have to inject any of our own capital. It wow. was all laid out for us, and we had we had a business already there, and that was the first business that I had. And um, two years after buying it for two hundred forty thousand, with my two partners at the time, we ended up selling it for one point one million dollars. Um, and I was kind of like, wow, how awesome is this? And then. Yeah. Um, from that money, ended up getting a deposit for our first house in Australia with my then ex-wife. So that was like, that was a really significant achievement. I was pretty
1: stoked on that at the time. Yeah, and I think, like many entrepreneurs, that's probably where you got the bug. I, I know a lot of serial entrepreneurs; they have that first big success, and then they just love growing companies and selling them. Um, talk about some of the other businesses that you've started since then, because you've had a number.
2: Yeah, for sure. So I ended up, it was funny, with that business, I ended up bringing, they brought in external management and three years after selling the business, so I had a golden handcuff agreement where I had to stay. And then three years after selling the business, they said, no, nah, you're too disruptive. And they made me redundant. So that was, <laughs> that, was, that was kind of really humbling, right? Like my first business, here I was, built it up, sold it, and they're going, no, nah, you're too disruptive. So off I went. And so that led me to taking a 12 to 13-month hiatus. I just went and changed total industry, um, I had a, corp- a corporate national sales manager role. And again, after 13 months, uh, well, after 13 months later, I got made redundant in that role as well. And so I remember driving back over the Westgate Brig- Bridge down here in Melbourne, and I called my friend at the time, Jared Bloomfield, and I said, hey, mate, we- we've been talking about starting another tech company. And I said, hey, mate, guess what? And he goes, what? And I said, well, I've just been made redundant. Um, and he said, oh, okay. And then I said, so we start tomorrow, all right? And and that was it. So we So, we registered the company, um, we set up a shitty little website, and Mm -hmm. the rest of the story, like the rest of the story's history, you know, over a five year period, we went, we chucked in $2,000 each, and then in our fifth financial year, we're turning over $27 million in gross sales, which is really, really significant, and we're playing and, and supplying large enterprise accounts down here in Australia um and then i don't know for some reason we kind of like do we really want to do this anymore and we made a decision we're going through some challenging periods both in our personal lives and our marriages Mm -hmm. um i I didn't realize kind of didn't realize it at the time because growing a business and being especially rapid growing business the demands and the people and the staff i really took its toll personally and obviously had an impact um, on the relationship but yeah it was it was an amazing ride an amazing journey and uh yeah, to build one and sell it from scratch was very, very rewarding and satisfying. At the same time, very, very challenging because you're kind of out there on the plank on your own um, and it's up to you at the end of the day. And if you don't make it work, then there's no, you can't point fingers at anybody. So uh, super exciting.
1: Yeah. Well, that's really cool. It's fun to hear your successes in business, but while you're doing this, you also have always been pretty involved in extreme sports with, between surfing and snowboarding and, and mountain climbing and things. How did you get into all those kinds of things? Yeah, I've always had
2: heaps of energy, whether or not it's an undiagnosed disorder of some kind, I think probably so, but i always had heaps of energy and passion. And so my, my passion and love for surfing started when I was 13 years old. Uh, my passion and love for skateboarding started before that. And mm. I think it was just like one thing led to another. And I found that, you know, when I was going surfing or going skateboarding, I felt a massive sense of freedom, free from the challenges that I had on the land or free from the things that I was worrying about. And I enjoyed the feeling of movement and also the fact that the progression in those sports, There's sports that you can't master. And, if you, and it's real humbling because if you fall off when you're skateboarding, it hurts, right. like it actually, especially on concrete. But you've got to force yourself to get back up. And I think in business as well, it's the same. You're going to have setbacks and there's going to be challenges. But you just got to keep going and get back up. Um, and so the surfing and the skateboarding just started leading to other things. And I remember when we were building Engaged Technology Group we're in our second or third year, I found myself leading away from the things that I was passionate about and doing really, really focusing on work to the point that I was starting to probably lose perspective of who I was as a person. And so I was reconnecting with those sports and going all in them and investing um, my time and energy and resources into pursuing them even more that I found a massive sense of freedom and I found that I was really finding and starting to discover who I actually was at the core. Now, if I look back over the journey in terms of the adoption and then the conditioning and then the different things that we all go through as, as children and then growing into adults, um, it was just part of the natural progression. And then, yeah, it kind of like let me to rediscover who I, was really, who I really was and what I was really passionate about. And, hey, there was, some, there was some losses around it, I tell you. I used to have a really big circle, and then by going down this path and this journey, my circle got smaller and smaller. I started to kind of wake up and understand and uh, started to respect myself more and set boundary conditions. And, uh, yeah, but I, I, I attribute to that to the adventuring and the love of surfing and just that time away to think and to process and to not be distracted by the noise that's going on in so many of our lives.
1: That's cool. So you mentioned a little bit about getting to know yourself. And, and I realized we skipped over that part of your story as far as I, I know that you met your biological mom at some point And I'm dying to know now your what your heritage is since you're not, you know, different from your Australian mates when you were growing up. So tell me a little bit about meeting your mom and, and what you learned about yourself.
2: Yeah, sure. Well, I'll let you wait a little bit for where I actually my heritage and my origins from. I had to wait 30 years because I found it when I was 30. So you can wait for like 30 more seconds, but okay, uh, It's Funny, I'm like everyone used to ask me where you're from, and then they used to say, "I reckon you're this," or "I reckon you're this," or "You're Italian," or "You're Greek," or "You're Spanish," and it used to go on and on. I was like, and then um, at the age of 30, my um, uh, then wife was pregnant; she was 30 weeks pregnant, and I saw her, and I was like, "Somebody carried me around in their stomach um, and gave and did this for me," because I saw some of the challenges that my ex-wife went through. So, um, yeah, I just went on a journey to find her and it was a matter of contacting the department of human services, um, which was a really simple process was filling in a form, sending in a check. And then I got a call a couple of weeks later. They said, come on in. So I went in and then they said, okay, we found your file. Um, And I was like ready to find out everything then and then. They said, you have to come back in a couple of weeks. So I ended up going back in a couple of weeks to a meeting. um, And I remember walking into the room and I thought it was just going to be me, but there was 10 other adoptees sitting in the room at the time. And I'm like, what's going on here? Anyway, so it was a two-hour facilitator session. Uh, The first hour, we were just sharing different thoughts about experiences and life so far, some things that we'd like to know. And then the the second half of uh, of the hour, um, the facilitator came back into the room and started handing out all our files and like she's in with these manila files being a teacher you know exactly what i'm talking about yeah. uh, started handing them out and then she's handed my one out and put it in front of me and she said oh yours is an interesting one i'm like oh no <laughs> um so anyway so everybody she handed them out to everybody and then it was kind of like she said off you go and then it was like open up the manila folder and then i couldn't believe what i was looking at on the first page and um you've got a birth certificate, right? And it's, it's got your name on it and these type of things. And I had a birth certificate my whole life, but it had my adoptive name on it, uh, my mum and dad's name on it, uh, our religion, uh, just all that type of stuff. And then the first page I open up and there's my original birth certificate. And it's got a different name. It's got a different uh, wow. month's name, it's got a different religion. Uh, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, who am I? And that was what went through my, I was like, who am I? And the next thing I know, just tears just pouring out onto the page. And then I kind of sat there for a moment and then I looked up and around and then I looked around the room and then everybody else was in exactly the same state because it was just so everyone was just learning all this stuff for the first time. So that was, that was really challenging. And the lady at the end of it, she said, okay, I just encourage you all to you know sit with what you've learned today for six months, process it, and then perhaps reach out with a letter to, uh, your biological mother or father who have you found. And in my head, I'm thinking, there's no way. I'm going home right now. I'm going to look up the directory and I'm going to try and find her. To cut a long story short, that's exactly what happened. Within a day, I'd actually contacted her, spoken to her, and arranged to meet up within a couple of days after that. And it was really... It was really moving. It was really confronting. I've got no doubt. I had a lot of shock and trauma from it, especially what was coming around the heritage and my adoption and that type of stuff. But we decided to meet up. Um, I was really, really nervous. Uh, I remember we met up at a cafe just out of Melbourne and I remember driving along. I got out of the car and for some reason I rang them to see where they were and they were down the bottom of a hill, 200 metres down the road in front of a cafe. And at this point in time, i like, oh, I can see you. And then I hung up the phone and I remember vividly starting to run and, like, everything was, like, in slow motion and there was music playing in the background and it was like one of those movie moments, right? And then I was like, hang on, what are you doing? Um, You've waited 30 years. There's no point running now. And so I ended up walking to her. And then at that point in time, they just both smothered me and kissed me and hugged me and invaded my personal space massively. Um, and it was really confronting because, like, To me, they felt like strangers. There was no real connection there at that point. Um, And so, yeah, but the next minute they pulled away and then I looked down and then my biological mother, she was pregnant, visually pregnant. Um, I said, oh, look, you're pregnant. And she goes, yeah, I've had no other children since you. And I was kind of like, wow. And it was like everything was just two to two together. and I was like, hang on. I grew up. I grew up in an adopted family as an only child, and I never had any brothers or sisters. And that's what I wanted when I was growing up. And then I'm looking at my biological mother for the first time. and going, "Hang on, I've got a half sister here, and uh, she wasn't born yet," which was quite fascinating. And uh, yeah, so that was. It was really full on, really moving. And we sort of chat. We had a bit of a at a toaster sandwich, and we had a bit of a chat and talked about life. And she asked me how it was, and I said, yeah, it was good." And and I asked her about her life. And then I asked her, I said, so, okay, I'm really curious to know, like, why did you give me up for adoption? And she spoke and, look, I, just, I wasn't prepared for what she was going to say at all at the time. And she turned around, she said, look, I was really, really young. I was 16 at the time. And she said, I was, I was raped. And I was like, whoa. And I remember hearing it and I heard, heard those words and I was like, and I just smiled and I put on a mask that so many of us often do in life. And I remember putting on a mask and going, oh yeah, not thinking too much about it and not kind of showing any response or reaction to it. And it wasn't until later on, I had time to process it all. Um, and that was really heavy. And I, and I hadn't, I hadn't thought about either from her perspective, it was only my selfish thoughts around my experience. And then I thought, oh, it took me years to realise down the track that she'd gone through quite a traumatic experience um, and, you know, was pretty challenging for her. So I ended up leaving that and I remember I got home that day and my mother, their wife, I said to her, this is what I've just found out. I need to go and sit in a room and because people were ringing up to find out my heritage, right? <laughs> That's all I wanted to know. And I just couldn't take any calls and there's no doubt I was in massive shock and trauma and it led me to believe I had a certain belief around who I was as a person um, and my belief around myself and my identity. All, got, all of that got shocked, got changed to, to the point where I was in a pretty disempowered state. And it led me to uh, making some decisions and actions down the track probably led me to create more pain for myself and, and some of those around me. So super confronting. Wow.
1: Well, that's a, a, definitely not the story I was expecting. Um, but you still haven't told us your heritage. Are you going to? You're just teasing us. Oh uh, yeah, yeah.
2: So I asked her, and she said, "Yeah." So um, she said, "I'm I'm Turkish," and so you're Turkish. And I, I was kind of like, at the time, I didn't know what to think about. I thought about like Gallipoli and Anzac Day and how the Australians, the Turks fought, and and that day now in Australia we celebrate it every single year. Right. Um, and that day's got massive meaning for me now because it's kind of like I'm I've got a foot in both camps, and so. That's been a really special, special thing for me to celebrate. And then also my kids now are very much curious about my heritage, my background as well, which is exciting. Yeah, so, so it's Turkish. Sorry, yeah. sorry to take you so long to get to that point.
1: <laughs> no, no that's a, it's a, an amazing story, and I appreciate you being willing to share it. it. It's no surprise then with a lot of the projects that you're working on now with Shred for Life and The Future Phase – that you've started these philanthropies and these different projects, working with kids, helping kids understand who they are and what their potential is. This totally makes sense, given your background and where you're coming from. Go ahead and talk about some of these uh, different programs that you've started up and what you're doing with them.
2: Yeah, sure thing. It's – I think what – Anybody innovating in business or coming up with new ideas, quite often we solve a problem that we might have experienced ourselves. So I was at Engage, I was working a lot, I felt like I lost myself, there was times where I didn't want to show up to meetings just because I was in such a disempowered state, but I'd put the mask on and I'd go to the meeting and I'd smile and say all the things that I need to say to get the outcome that I needed to get, right? Um, As well, not only for me, but also for the client. And it dawned on me that so many other people, and I saw so many other people doing the same thing. And in Australia, and look across the world, we've got uh, engagement challenges with staff and companies. And I believe a massive uh, reason why is because I don't believe a lot of people are aligned to their purpose and what they're truly, truly meant to do. And it's a challenging thing to find it. And there's no like secret recipe to find it. It's, I believe it's a massive, you've got to put one step in front of the other and keep taking action um, and leaning to your passions. But, I realized that I needed to create something for myself. So I started traveling and then reading and educating myself around some different stuff. And then I, don't know, I just started talking, talking about different things and posting some content on LinkedIn based on my, on my history my personal story my experience. And then I ended up doing some mentoring and taking uh, some people away on these corporate adventures and team building adventures and having real conversations with people. And you know, I was in those, some of those moments of people who got limiting beliefs and I push them into a wave and they'd say, I never go surfing. So I'll get eaten by shark and then push them into a wave. They stand up for the first time. I catch one. They're like, I caught a wave. I go, like, yeah, you can do it. And like, oh, I never thought I could do that. And I always like tie it back to um, limiting beliefs that people might have on the land in business or career or relationships. Um, just to, just to start popping those and, and exposing some of those fake beliefs. Well, they're real beliefs of that person, but, they may be disempowering beliefs and not helping somebody get to where they actually want to get to. So we can do a little bit of a rewiring in the adventure world and then translate that into the, into the real world, I like to call. Um, it makes a massive impact in people's lives. And so I just started out doing that and then it's led me to working with an NBL basketball team down here, in Melbourne United, who came over a few years ago and played against OKC and nearly knocked OKC off, which was super exciting, which I was actually fortunate enough to bet that game. And then I was like speaking to, to adults and teams and I thought, hey, you know what? Like kids need all of this information. It's kids who need to discover who they are and begin that journey early on in life. And I believe massively to prevent the challenges that, that men and women are having later on in life where the midlife crisis, if you like to, to point it that way, we can try to avoid that or minimize that and avoid some of the mental health challenges that we've uh, got in our country but also all over the world right so that's how it kind of like played out and it was following my heart leaning into my passions opening up showing vulnerability working hard um yeah and it's just kind of like been a crazy three years all the while going through a divorce which has been full on as well so raising two kids so yeah super
1: fun well, so your life is fascinating. You've had ups and downs. You're doing some amazing things. Uh, if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give yourself?
2: I've been asked this question a few times, and I think I answer it differently every single time. But <laughs> I think it would I, I be just, just to say, hey, everything's going to be okay. Right. Like, everything's going to be okay. The sky's not going to come falling in. Uh, God's got a plan. Everything will be taken care of. Yeah, I think just everything's going to be okay because I believe that I think for a long period of time in my life, I thought that things weren't going to be okay. And even in even in business today, sometimes, you know, 20 or 30 years of patterns ingrained, it doesn't just change overnight just because you've got conscious awareness around it, right? right. You've really got to re- re-wipe the needle and the grooves. And so, um, yeah, I still even still to this day when I'm working and I'm driving along doing my thing and they're like, well, chill out everything's going to be okay. So that's probably how I'd answer the question today in this moment in time, Thursday morning at 7 a.m. in the morning in Melbourne.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, totally different times over here in the U.S. Appreciate you waking up to talk to us. Yeah, Let, uh, yeah all good. <laughs> so, Brent, if, if kids want to kind of follow you and, and see what you're up to, where's the best place that they can connect with you?
2: Yeah, awesome. I think probably on my Instagram account. It's funny, I get my, my son, he's 13, 13 years old, Um, And i get his kids following my stories and commenting on my stories. And now we've got this great space that they're creating um, with skateboard ramp, the table, tennis table and darts. We're going to be running empowering workshops out of here and taking them down the coast. And if there's any kids who want to follow along and see what we are doing, probably the best point would be to connect with me on Instagram at Brench Breaks Bread. And from there, you can follow the links to some of the other businesses and projects that I'm working on. So that's probably the easiest um, and direct method I do. I post lots of stories there around the process, around doing the work, and I post uh, post images of like where I get to go to because of the process of doing the work. So I try to give a a balanced perspective of Instagram, where it's hey, this is the real aspirational stuff that I love to do, but hey, if you want to do this stuff, if you want to do this stuff in life, then go and check out all the work that goes into making it happen. And I think sometimes in social media world, we've got this curated content, and it just it doesn't paint a real picture of exactly like no. what you need to do to, to, to actually achieve something external in life.
1: That's certainly true. Well, yeah. thank you. We'll, we'll link to that in the description on this video then. And thank you so much for your time this morning. It's been awesome chatting with you and hearing your story.
2: Oh, thanks very much, Tyler. Thanks for having me on here, mate. It's a pleasure. And we'll uh, be back over in the, on, over the US hopefully soon. Well, maybe not until 2021, but uh, maybe we can catch up again.
0: Cool. That'd be awesome so much for joining us today on virtual school assembly if you enjoyed the episode please subscribe on apple Podcasts or spotify or wherever else you listen to virtual assemblies and leave us a rating and review so we know what you learned and took away from this virtual assembly videos and show notes are found at virtualschoolassembly.com and if you're a school leader and you're looking for a speaker for virtual or traditional in-school assemblies or if you're looking for some teacher training i'd love to connect with you to see how i can help You can check out my website at tylerchristiansen.com. Thanks. You are super duper. Let's go out and make the world a better place. Bye-bye.